Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to Sofa Cinema Club. I'm Colson Smith and as always I'm joined by Jack P. Shepard. Ben Roth. The Sofa Cinema Club is our podcast where we get together to educate each other on films. Now, it is all about the films we should have seen, but we haven't. Each week we pick a film for each other to watch and then we come into the studio and we talk about what we loved, hated and rated about the film. Now, the beauty of our film club is that anybody can join in. All you've got to do is watch along with the film at home and then join us every Thursday to find out what we thought. This week's film has been chosen by Jack for me and Ben to watch, and it is, as always, the classic Godfather Part 2. But before we get into talking all things Godfather Part 2, as always, how's your week been? What have you been up to? Birthday. I had that dinner. It's a weird one, 34, isn't it? Like, you could have just bypassed it, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're not 35, you're not young, but you're not quite old. Yeah. You're in the middle. How do you feel? Uh, exactly the same, like everybody does on the birthday, exactly the same. Get anything nice? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I asked for the exact same thing that I always ask for, for birthday and for Christmas. Aftershave? Aftershave. So I got three bottles of aftershave, and I know what aftershave, because I went and I picked it all. Well, me and my girlfriend went, and we went, and we went aftershave shopping. So we went into... A department store, and we shopped around. <laughs> but which we won't mention the name, because Selfridges won't pay us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not mentioning it, because they're not paying me to say it. <laughs> you make it sound so thrilling. We went into a department store. Sounded, sounded good, though, didn't it? Sounded grown up. It did. Really, the reality is, you went to Berry Market, smelt them all, <laughs> and found the one that s- smelled like the one you wear. Yeah. So we got some aftershaves, that was nice. And then my sister and my mum sent me some presents. First of all, my mum sends me messages to go, I'm sending it, next day delivery, you have to sign for it and make sure it comes. And she's obsessed with post getting lost. I don't know why, she just is. She's obsessed with it. She's like, make sure you're in. I'm like, yeah, I am. My birthday's on the 14th. I get it on the 12th, right? Get it from postman, blah, blah, blah. I recognise my mum's handwriting, I take it in. She went, well, what do you think? I've not opened it I'm yet. Like, mum, it's the fucking 12th. I've not opened it yet. She put, 
Oh, yeah. Crying eyes emoji. Good emoji game. Good on you. Good emoji. Crying eyes emoji. Oh, two hands in the air. (laughs) I forgot. Yeah. Monkey with the hands over the face. Well, we're all dying to know. What was it when it came to the 14th? So, from my sister, slippers. Just what you need. Didn't you used to have some massive cosy slip, massive for your feet? Ugg Ugg boot slippers. He had big Ugg boot ones. Yeah, I did have big big Ugg slippers. What what did you get this time? These are like proper... I don't know if they are fur. I don't think they're fur. What's that thing when they're not fur but they're Faux fur. I think it's that. But it is amazing. And they're they're called shepherds. That's the gag. (laughs) Anyway, I got slippers, right? Off my mum, I got this book. And you know mudlarking? No. You know what mudlarking is, Ben? No. It sounds like some dodgy hobby, I have to say. A bit like dogging. (laughs) (laughs) It's not dogging. I'll explain. Mudlarking is when you go on, like, beaches and on coastal areas. It's not a good start. (laughs) Coastal areas. Coastal areas. Let me speak. I'm letting you speak. Ooh, don't get nasty. And you look for shit that's on the ground. <laughs> Metal detector. You, no, no, no. You're not allowed to dig. You have to look with your eyes. You're not allowed to move things. That's mudlarking. And anything you see that's more than like a few centimetres deep, you're allowed to take, I think. I don't know the legalities of it. But you need a licence and everything like that. It costs like 50 quid for like three years. There's this guy that I follow on instagram and you can search him and look for him he's called jason mudlark right and is this listen 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 this guy lives in london he's this american guy lives in london and he goes on the thames and he finds shit on the riverbanks of the thames and he shows you what he's found he's found fucking all sorts trolleys Trolleys. Trolleys. Shoes. Old shoes, wellies. <laughs> no, but he has. The shit he's found is amazing. And I was interested. My mum got me interested into his Instagram page. She's bought me his fucking book. Honestly, it's really good and interesting. Just to clarify, you are officially now 34, aren't you? And and that that is your hobby. That's it. Mudlarking. Slippers. You used to like PlayStation and football. Now you like looking for things on the coastal floor. It's the way there's a rule to it, though. You can't dig down. I once found a khaki on Weymouth Beach, actually, when I was like six. Remember it very well. What do you mean a khaki? Found a khaki. Oh, khaki. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I thought you meant the colour. <laughs> thought he meant the colour. <laughs> <laughs> So, so far we've established you've turned 34 and you've got a new hobby. Listen, I haven't gone mudlarking. It's just a book on it. But you're gonna. We're gonna do it on YouTube. Your mum's coming to teach us. (laughs) I've already scheduled it all for March. Now, the elephant in the room is that me and Ben have had to swap recording studios for today's episode because... Jack came round last night to watch the film. Yeah. And there was a discussion as to where does Ben record the podcast? Well, this was before Ben arrived, wasn't it? There was just me and you there. And I said, oh, he kind of just sorts himself out, but he goes in his room and he, like, sits in the corner. And Ben has been moaning after the last few episodes. Because obviously the podcasts now take longer. We record multiple eps at a time with the ET and the Patreon. So, we, you know, we're in here for three hours. We're recording for three hours. 
and Ben's starting to moan <laughs> about being uncomfortable and things not being right. So I said, do you know what? I might swap with him. And Jack comes around and Jack goes, well, what's he do? And I said, I think he has his laptop here, his mic here, and kind of sits in the corner. So I offered to Ben about half an hour ago whilst we were eating our tea. I said, shall we swap for this episode? And Ben went, no, no, like you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to do it. And then I went, all right, fair enough. Well, I've offered. He took a bite of his food and went, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so let's just recreate this, Colson, because you're, you're literally making it sound like I've not been doing the podcast for a few years now and sat at the corner of my room positioned between curtain and radiator, balancing a laptop, <laughs> a ring light and a mic on a bedside table, <laughs> sat on a poof crushed in the corner through rain or shine for 120 episodes. <laughs> and sometimes at the end of two and a half hours, I can't stand. Yeah. And all you've said is, woof, that was long. You've had an apple, you've walked around, you've had a brownie and a drink of water. Then you said to me, hoping that I wouldn't say yes. You said, oh, we'll swap. And I thought, no, you won't be hurt. And then I went, no, no, no. Okay, yeah, let's swap. And then he took the poof into the room and he went, where'd you go, Ben? I went, corner, mm. by bed. Between wall, between heater. And now he's he was already uncomfortable. Look, you've got an hour and a half to go. I have been fiddling to try and get my buttocks comfortable, but the annoying thing is I keep hitting my knee on radiator. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy do. You're basically doing an enormously successful podcast from a telephone box. I feel like <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> under stairs. That's it, exactly. In his little That's cupboard. It, exactly. But... I'm not going to complain because I'm going to show Ben that I am the more professional one of the two of us. Good, you show me. You show me, Colson. You show me week after week how professional. I tell you what, I am loving this. I've got my drink. I've got my little, I've got my mates around. I'm playing cards. <laughs> it's warm. I've got my papers here for all the notes I've made on the pockets. Fantastic. Shall we have a quick synopsis then from Ooh. Shepherd, Godfather 2? Emphasis on the word quick. Uh, yes. See how he does here, Ben. I think he might do all right. You've got two ways of going here. You either go a three and a half hour synopsis or you go very, very quick. The Godfather Part 2 um, picks up where the first one lefts off uh, straight away with um, Michael Corleone um, becoming... <laughs> be in for a long day here. <laughs> we've had six urns in ten oh seconds God, there. We've, we've gone back to urn. Italy in the 1907. It's the way you slow down the tone of your voice as well when you do the synopsis. It's giving me time to fucking think. That's it's why. like you're on the film programme. Yeah, it is. The Godfather 2. Yeah, it is. A continuation of The Godfather 1. <laughs> <laughs> it follows the Colleone family and the head of that family is Michael Colleone, played by Al Pacino. And... It jumps backward and forward between times, doesn't it? From um, early 19... 1907 veto. Yeah, in Sicily to New York, uh, Nevada, um, to Michael Colleone, who's his future son, who now runs the family, and it shows the beginning of Vito Colleone starting the family business of the Mafia. And it shows, I know it's a bit sketchy, and it shows Michael Colleone and his sort of like demise, really. It's like everything's not really going his way. He's got lots of enemies and he's very, very paranoid. (laughs) That's it. End of synopsis. 
the end. And I would like 35 million to make it, please. Yeah. I know. Imagine. <laughs> you'd never get it. Imagine you have to pitch the film. Yeah. You'd never get it. We all watched it last night, didn't we? So Colson, far right, sofa, poof. Jack, middle, poof. Ben, chaise long blanket. That's the one. That's the one I wanted, but I'm... I'm... You were a guest, so we like you would with any guest, you gave them the shit seat. The the big thing we're missing is when Jack first comes into the flat, he brings gifts, doesn't he, Ben? Bag for life. He's got his Percy Pigs bag for life, and he went, don't you worry, lads, I've been to the shop, I've bought snacks. Because Jack doesn't think we have snacks, do you? Well, you don't have fucking snacks. No, we don't. Ben only drinks coffee, I only drink water, so you have to bring your own stuff to make tea. <laughs> There was an interesting array there, wasn't there? There was the toothpaste. Yes. Beard oil. Yeah. Shampoo. Yeah. Maltesers. I also did a little bit of a toiletry shop on the way. <laughs> we noticed. Well. I, I killed two birds with one stone, all right? Then you did the controversial thing, which semi-fucked it up for Colson. It was a good idea. They all get the bowl for the popcorn, but what did he do, Ben? Well, he got popcorn bowl, and then just as I was bringing out the bigger bowl, he went, fuck! Put them both in. So it was a popcorn Malteser combo. I thought you liked that, Colson. No, I did. I was on that. But Colson's trying to avoid the Malteser. So he's rattling around in the popcorn for the first 20 minutes, trying to find popcorn, <laughs> not Malteser. The big controversy was no wine gum sports mixture. Well, as well, the one thing that Jack did in his defence, he sent us a message in the group chat and said, lads, snacks, what do you want? And we replied with one thing, didn't we, Ben? Wine gums. Well, I misspelt it, put wine guns. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> but what was the one thing that Jack didn't bring? Wine gums. But he brought sports mixture, which are different. Jack hit me with, aren't they the same? No, I see, I didn't know that. You should know that. You should learn the difference. One break. It came your in teeth. very strongly, which is your own personal favourite, which is the Moam. The Moams, yeah. I do like Moams. And you were absolutely hacked through them. I had the full fucking bag. I the <laughs> you bag. Did. You did. I didn't have a single one. I don't doubt Ben did. I rifled through them. But we did well because it's a 320. It's a big watch. Um, and we did, we got there nice and early. We kicked off at seven because we knew it was going to be a long watch, didn't we? For me, first time I'd ever seen this film. Watch number one for the podcast um, with you two. And just as we press play... I turned around and said, so what film was better, Godfather 1 or Godfather 2? And Jack was like, that's the big debate. That's why we're here. We're going to judge for yourself. And obviously it starts with the opening shot, which is like a direct cut from the first film. You know, it's kind of a continuation of the story, isn't it? Yeah, because at the end of the first one, we see Michael just get to power, don't we? Yeah. And this sort of continues from there. And... What you sort of see in this film is that he's starting to change, really. He's starting to become more engrossed in the family business and less sort of bothered about his relationship with Kay and his children. He doesn't really seem to be a particularly good husband or a father or even spending time. He gets Tom to buy Christmas presents and things like that, doesn't he? And he's just not really across anything. He seems to be more involved a lot more involved with the business now that he is the godfather there there was a line that kind of stuck out with me when the wife turns around at that first party and after they're all queuing to meet and sit with michael 
the wife kind of gets him one on one and turns around and says, "You told me five years, and this will be a legitimate business. This was eight years ago. Like, what's going on? When's it going to change?" Mm. And you get the sense then this isn't what she signed up for. She didn't sign up to be the wife of, you know, the, the head of the mafia. And there's been a hit on him straight away, hasn't there? It's quite clear from ball one that people want Michael dead. The story of the film is him, one, trying to work out who wants him dead, and two, taking care of him. Mm. And we see straight away, you know, the sheer violence of someone sends around two assassins to basically shoot through him and his wife and they're unsuccessful. Well, I suppose what it's trying to do is is relate back to the the moment where Vito, when he was young, had his on his on the funeral of his father, had his brother and his mum killed by the local mafia lord in Sicily. And I suppose what the film is relating is this level of violence or shock goes through the family and doesn't stop and keeps with Michael, who becomes maybe even more ruthless than Vito was. At least Vito would talk to people and find out what your problem was or whatever. But you see Michael at this end become even more vicious than the original Godfather. He's kind of twisted, isn't it? Well, I noticed in that beginning sequence at the um, it's his son's first communion or something, isn't it? Yeah. He says no to everybody that he meets that day that is coming and asking for favours. And it's a complete opposite to what Vito does in the first Godfather at his daughter's wedding when he says yes to everyone. What's interesting was that, while I really like in the film, is that Vito began that kind of consonary bit of coming to him himself. It wasn't like written. No. He just would sort out stuff in his local community like the woman who's getting thrown out of a rental because of a dog. He'd sort out any problem to build trust within the community, and that's how his business worked, through trust. And Michael builds it through fear. Yeah. So they build their empires in different ways, and maybe that's why Vito is arguably more successful. Well, he's just terrified, isn't he, of being killed and paranoid, it seems, as as the film sort of progresses. Yeah, he gets worse, doesn't he? After the party's finished, he kind of takes it upon himself to go and meet one of his father's old, like, business partners, um, Hyman Roth. Yeah. Um, who is someone who he claims that his dad trusted, and he kind of paints it out to us that, you know, that there's... There's there's going to be a business connection between the two of these. Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg, which is the drama school that I went to when I went to America. Hello, my name's Colson Smith, and I will be playing Michael Corleone. <laughs> yeah. So basically, whilst we're on to this, because it was always going to happen, is Lee Strasberg was an actor who kind of <laughs> wrote quite a lot of books and basically reinvented method acting, didn't he, Ben? Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd argue Stanislavski did it first. Well, Stanislavski did do it first. He American, I would say Strasbourg Americanized it, yeah. And then it became very famous with Brando and Dean and then through onto De Niro and Pacino. His son taught me for a bit and he basically used to talk about people and he'd call them Uncle Al, who obviously is Al Pacino, and he would call Tarantino Q. And it's like... Really, like, a bit knobby stuff. Wanky. I know what you mean. Yeah. Proper, you know, 
But obviously, he, his dad was a big deal, and these actors love him. And like the actors' centre was kind of a thing all created around him. Anyway, me and his son had a to do on my last day. <laughs> Ooh. So we were doing monologues, yeah, and that was kind of the last thing was that we we did this monologue that we'd worked on for the last few days. And when we showed it, it was the first time David Strasberg had seen it, and he fucking took me to pieces. <laughs> like, took me to What was pieces. it, a Roy's Rolls? <laughs> the monologue was about um, someone was trying to get a book commissioned off me, and it was my response to why I wasn't going to commission her book, and I was really nasty. But he took me to pieces about one thing, basically saying that I was using a voice to perform in and I wasn't using myself. And he was basically talking about method and he was like, don't speak from your mouth, speak from your lungs and let it come out. And he was, it was all really quite wanky, Jack. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what it was. So me and him had this bit of a to-do and I was like, I think you fucking talking absolute bullshit like you just kind of you <laughs> where's just, your voice coming from there yeah, goes, huh? i was like just kind of you just kind of do it don't you anyway <laughs> skip three years later you just kind of do I'm it giving a eulogy at a funeral <laughs> i say the first line croak and then my voice completely changes and as i'm giving this eulogy all i can think is Speak fucking david strasberg we're right won't he little wanker <laughs> i'm there trying to remember what i'm saying tears coming out my eyes and all i can think is yeah now i fucking understand what acting is now i get method acting <laughs> but so lee strasberg big you know famous person for method acting and kind of was a big big influence on Brando, especially Pacino and De Niro, like they were all kind of quite pally and had big respect. So I imagine for Pacino to play opposite him, that, that was quite a thing. And they do have quite a lot of heavy dialogue two-handers in out the entire film. Yeah. And we learn fairly quickly that Al Pacino's character, Michael, is a very, very smart man. Yeah, he's five steps ahead, isn't he? But what I do think what the interesting part is is that they always relate it back to Vito and that Vito knew the people were after him but wouldn't necessarily kill them. No. And the difference with Michael is Michael looks to get rid of that problem, whereas Vito would live with that problem for much longer because it would be business. It does to a certain extent, though, doesn't it? He does lead Hyman Roth on to letting him think he's going to be his business acquaintance. When all the while, he's got a hitman with him who's going to take him out when Michael gives the nod. Yeah, but I don't feel he... I feel that Hyman Roth and Vito probably never really got on. Mm. And they did business for 20-odd, 30 years. And it almost felt to me like Vito didn't mind knowing if someone was after him or didn't like him as long as he knew that. Whereas Michael just goes, oh, actually, I'm just going to get rid of him. I mean, he ends up killing nearly everyone who's around him and he just ends up on his own. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So we go. they have this big thing. They're, they're wanting to set up this thing in Miami, Florida, aren't they? With Hyman Roth going through Cuba. Yeah. But at the same time, he also wants to know because... He's got his suspicions Hyman Roth did the hit on his house. Yeah. But there must have been an insider in the family to speak to Hyman Roth and know about opening the drapes, knowing where Michael's office and bedroom was going to be. Yeah. And someone had to have given that information and he wants to find that person out. So why do you think this film, 
being the sequel. Mm. One, was it always going to get made? There was talk and buzz of a sequel while the first one was being shot and made. Paramount were um, in preparation with getting a sequel made while the first one was being made. And then when the first one came out and was a glorious success, and won, uh, Brando got Best Actor and uh, Best Screenplay and Best Film, they wanted uh, the second one to be made. And because... Coppola had such a horrible time directing the first one. He said, if you're going to uh, make a second one, you can do it with a completely different director. I'm not doing it. I'm out. What, like Dragon's Den? Yeah, he did. Full on Deborah Meaden. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I would like 32 million from my film, The Godfather Barbara. And 5%. He said, <laughs> he said, I'm out. I'm not doing it. So they said, okay... And they talked about getting Scorsese to do the second one. That fell through. And then they went back to Coppola and was like, right, let's try again what do you want. So he demanded more money. And he said, I have to be able to control the film. I can't have, A, a shadow director. Because on the first one, there was a shadow director following Coppola around for if Paramount decided at any minute... He was sacked, and to push a button and kill his contract, this other shadow director stepped in. So imagine you're directing a film, and there's someone behind your shoulder who's just waiting to step in if they don't like the shots that you've picked. It's like, that's an unbelievable stress. What you don't think about is, these films are so... Because it's 50 years now, isn't it, of The First Godfather. These films are so burnt into film... You know, they're iconic that you don't imagine that when they're being made, it's teetering that the film company are teetering on to, I don't think it's a good idea we make it. Because in those days, if it was a big film, even now, if it's a really big film and it flops, a studio can go bankrupt. Mm. Is there ever a point when they're on set, when they're making the film, when they're in the process of it, where they go, what we're making is really special? Or is it always a gamble? I think they'd know. I'd think a lot of it they'd be like, oh no, it is really fucking good. I'm sure there would be a lot of talk. I know, I see, around about this time though, because the f- first one was such a big success, a lot of the actors got a lot more power. So Pacino's fee massively went up. He took like 20%, 10% of the uh, box office, whatever that made. Um, James Caan, you know, he's in the last scene. Yeah. He got paid the exact same amount for Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 because he said, I want the same fee. They went, it's one scene. He went, same fee. Thank you. Godfather Part 2, from watching it last night, for me, is almost like a sequel and a prequel put together. Yeah. And has that ever been done before? Is that the way the story is told? It's not a book. So there is no story to follow. No, the first one is the book. And there's there's chapters of Vito, young Vito, in the first book. And that's the bits they've taken. Yeah, I see. For De Niro's character. So start to finish of the first book, is that pretty much what we see in the first film? Yeah, and the Sicily bit. So they've basically created a second half. They've created another story in Michael. And then they've used bits that were true to the book in the first bit. Yeah. They've sandwiched one in the middle, haven't they? It would go one, two, three. Interesting that they didn't just make a prequel or just make a sequel, though, isn't it? Because when you think about it, like, 
Godfather Part Two, everyone's going to go Al Pacino and De Niro, and they might they they might as well not be in the same film, really. Well, they're not. They're not on screen together, are they? No, they? They can't have met each other. It must have been filmed by two units on two different blocks, almost. Well, no, it was it was all Coppola. But when when they but fir- as in surely they filmed one part and then the other part. Yeah, yeah I would imagine. But so. you don't know whether Coppola's thinking at the time. I might not get another go at this. This is it. Yeah. Do I just try and get everything in? Well, he he knows. I mean, he's even said, even now, it's really hard to get finance. It's probably quite hard to get finance for the Godfather 1. It's been easier for Godfather 2, but he's thinking to himself, are they really going to go for a third? Or do I just make this one the story, the big story, the beginning, middle and end almost? And that's how he came out of a three-hour 30 classic, I guess. I mean, yeah, it takes some skill. It takes some filmmaking skill to get a three-hour 20 film which goes back and forth but doesn't actually show the middle bit, (laughs) which is pretty extraordinary. He shows the beginning and he shows the end but none of the middle. And do you think you could watch that film without having seen the middle bit? Because obviously the middle bit's the first film. Yeah. You don't need to have seen the first film, do you? Godfather 2 could be a standalone film. Yeah, of course, I think it can. I mean, what helps you is, is from the Godfather 1, is Brando. Mm. That's what helps you, is you have Brando in your head by the time you see 2. Yeah. And that his presence is so massive that you understand what he was like. So what Michael, when they talk about him, what Michael's trying to be, he goes and sees his mother and goes, how would have dad dealt with this? My marriage is falling apart. And she's old school. She goes, well, it... You don't leave. It's just going to be your marriage. So Brando, what's extraordinary is Brando did such an ex- an amazing job. He's all over the second film and not in it. Yeah. Well, interestingly, he was meant to be in it for that last scene. Oh, was he? So you know the birthday party? Yes. He agreed to come and do the final scene of his birthday party with everybody around. James Cairns there, Fredo and blah, blah, blah. So on the day of filming... Brando doesn't turn up for complications due to a deal or whatever. It must have been over money or something like that, but he doesn't turn up. Coppola is there with all the rest of the cast and improvises and says, right, it's a surprise party. And the end of the scene, he turns up in the hallway and we just end the film on Michael. But what's so interesting about that end shot, which I love is that Michael's on his own. Yeah, it worked. Even when he was younger, he was on his own. And he separates himself. And it's extraordinary. It actually probably works better not having him. Because I think if you'd had him, you'd just go, oh, Ah, there's Brando. There's Brando. Oh, there he is. He just stole it. Like what Meryl does in Mamma Mia 2. Yeah, he would have put some cake in his face and run around or done something like him and Jimmy Khan would have done something. But you're right. That one shot where he's having a drink, smoking at the very end is so powerful because he's on his own. And it kind of shows that doesn't actually care that much about anyone. That's the impression I got when he's left alone. They all rush off to go and see their dad and he just sits there in his own thoughts because he he's kind of taken on the world and he's going to do it alone. Well, I suppose what he's trying to... What he also is... A bit like Vito does. Vito separates himself early on in the film from his mates. And the way he becomes the Godfather is saying, the local gangster is is trying to get money from them. And he goes, look, you pay me 
I'll go and speak to that gangster and I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. And he separates himself. He separates himself into a place where he becomes more brutal. He kills him. But he's more thoughtful as well. He's not like the people around him. And I felt that Michael felt the same. I'm not like you. I'm not like my brothers. I'm different. I can mix violence, but also my brain. I, I'm smart, which Vito was. Vito was smart. He'd think about how to legitimise his business. He opens that thing where he imports olive oil, doesn't he? So he's trying to legitimise the business all the time. And I felt that Michael had that same thing. And whereas James Kahn doesn't. James Kahn's just out and out, fiery all the time. Just on all the time. I mean, his other brother... Fredo just doesn't can't deal with it at all. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Fredo because we find out in the film from the Michael story that Fredo is kind of the inside man, isn't he? He's the man who's been helping get his brother taken down. And it, it's kind of hard to understand why. And I think Michael finds it quite hard to understand why, of all people that want him to, you know die and no longer be in charge of running the family is his brother and the scene where they find out is is really clever isn't it because he asks his brother for his help to entertain the gambling man from arizona johnny what's his chops and they're on a night out they're on a party and it's like they're in a strip club or something like that and you just see michael sat drinking water listening to everybody party and he's already asked his brother if his brother's met someone. And then his brother says, no, no, never. And then when the lads are all chat, 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 having having the party, turns around and says, how do you find out about this place? And he says the name of the person who told him it. And he talks about Hyman Roth. And he said he'd never met Hyman Roth. That's possibly one of the best pieces of acting in that film, is that it's just on Pacino and it's just him living in his head about, oh, my brother, it's my brother. It's just a look, isn't it? It's just this look. Yeah, it's just a very quiet look, almost Shakespearean. There's quite a lot of the two-handers where either the actor's decisions or the direction really does make something of the film and creates the scene. Like Strasberg never having his top on when he's in the hotel room. There was a few improvised scenes, because don't forget, there isn't a book, so there's nothing to, like, proper, proper go off. There's, there's no scr- rules. There's no, so they could sort of, like, whatever the characters were sort of feeling, have a go. And if Coppola went, yeah, try it, let's do it, let's have a go. Strasberg, his character wasn't meant to be dying. But through filming, he came down with, like, pneumonia, or he was, he was quite ill. So they just wrote it into the script that he was dying and really unwell. Rather than stop filming, they just said, well, you'll be ill in the scene. Fucking talk about method. Talk acting. about <laughs> method, yeah. And he went, fine, yeah, let's just say I'm ill. It was There was quite an interesting moment, obviously, us three watching it together as actors, talking about Strasbourg, who is, you know, known as one of the famous method actors of all time. There's a bit where they pass around this solid gold mobile phone, <laughs> oh, isn't yeah. there? Yes, there is. um, they, they pass around this solid gold phone and everyone kind of holds it on the table. And obviously a solid gold phone would be a very, very heavy thing. And Strasbourg kind of picks it up with two fingers and just passes it on like it weighs nothing. When I went to drama school, the first drama school I went to is drama centre. It's quite method based and you used to have to do exercises 
So it's all about naturalism and being used to being seen. And you used to have to do exercises where you'd get up in the morning <laughs> and you just watch someone get up, have a shower, shave. The full thing. My mate, my mate. <laughs> get up in the morning. Get up in the morning. Oh, yawn, yawn. Had a crap in a bucket. <laughs> my <laughs> on stage. My, on stage, my head fell off. Oh my my head fell right off. As if to say, well, that's what I do in the morning. Yeah. I suppose what it was quite useful for, and I think it does work, is that eventually you became so not bored, but it became like you were in your room, you forgot you were being watched, and actually the audience forget they're watching something and just accept that you're got up. So then it takes out of that bit that you're consciously trying to make it interesting. Yeah. You're just doing what you're doing. Like Hyman Roth, when he sat on the chair and he's got his leg over the chair mm. when we first yeah. meet him yeah. and he's eating a sandwich. He's not making it anything. He's just doing what he would normally do. He's just do. doing what he'd normally do in his room. Because obviously when I was watching Strasbourg, I was watching him from the eye of everything that I've ever like read in his books and heard about him. And it is, you know, the pure simplicity of the acting bit is being completely relaxed and not feeling like you're acting. And that is obviously, that's why they go through all the weird process of relaxation. Imagining you're in your bedroom, imagine you're somewhere comfortable, is so that it, it looks like you're completely in your element, I guess. Yeah, and also I suppose what it also does is take away that element of, which I really like when he's talking to Roth and some of the others is, it seems reasonably normal. It seems reasonably businesslike. But these guys are making millions and killing people. <laughs> like it's nothing. Like it's just every day. But they're legitimised and it's business. It's just business. And I, I did like that. I did like how small and contained Pacino is in this film. I think is extraordinary. Amazing. Now, I think this would be quite an easy question for you to answer. But, you know, we've established that the film is kind of has two stories to it. If you could only watch this film as one of the stories, so prequel or sequel, and you had to get rid of one of them, what would it be? I think it's Pacino's film. I agree. Well, no, I was going to argue, without the Brando, you don't get the Michael. It'd be very boring without De Niro. Let's let's think of that. Yes. Let's, yeah. because... When he kills that gangster and he shoots him in the face and he's on the rooftops, that's great. What happens with Michael, if you take that segment out, like Coulson says, it's just him going from meeting to meeting. Yeah. Isn't it? And also, I do think he benefits from the way De Niro is slightly higher energy. And Brando is a much higher energy, much bigger presence. And the one thing that De Niro does so well in such a short space of time, because it doesn't feel like he's got loads of air time. 45 minutes about. His journey from, is that Robert De Niro, to, wow, he's literally mimicking Marlon Brando 100. You know, that, that last scene where he goes and kills the Don. Like, the jaw, the mouth, the walk, the swagger. Like, that is an actor unbelievably well interpreting someone else's character. Yeah. Well, he lived there for three months before filming in Sicily. And I think it's something like 90... I think he only speaks 17 words of English in the whole film, and everything else is Sicilian. Wow. So he lived there for three months to get into character. He went to Brando's same dentist and had, like, some sort of gum shield 
put in that was just slightly smaller than the one that Brando had and just studied like the film and Italian and yeah. So coming towards the end of the film, it all kind of comes to a head of Michael realising that he has been portrayed and he acknowledges the fact that he has and it kind of creates this friction between him and his brother and it's quite clear that they're never going to have the same relationship ever again. And then their mum dies, which kind of is the thing that might be the opportunity to pull them back together. And at the funeral, well, his brother... we can't, Fredo might think that, but we've heard... Well, that's, Mike, that's what I mean. We've heard Michael say in an earlier scene, I want nothing to happen to Fredo while my mother's alive. Yeah. So as soon as she's dead, we're thinking, ah. But Fredo at the funeral wants his brother. He wants to reach out. He wants to have that relationship. And it is quite clear that Michael is not interested in it. Yeah, just to add, I think what's important in this film is to remember Michael is the only one who knows everything. Fredo always sees it from his point. Everyone sees it from their little bit, don't they? Their little bit of what Michael is. But Michael is the only character who's one getting shot at, one killing people, and two understands the whole business. So like Jack said, when he goes to see Fredo when the mums died... He's going in a very, very different way than Fredo is, which is, I just want to, I just want my brother back and have a hug. Michael is past that. As Fredo's hugging him, Michael looks to his hitman and gives him the look. And it's kind of, this hug means everything to Fredo. And to Michael, it means nothing. But did you notice he did a slight cutaway on the hand, which he hadn't done before? He did a slight cutaway on Pacino's hand, which is gripped harder it's almost like that he's angry. Like he doesn't want to be. Yeah, he just gives it away, which is like he thinks it's a big bonding hug and actually it's an anger. There's an anger in him. And also it is one of those things that nothing scares people more than the man who's prepared to kill his own brother. I mean, crikey. Well, anyway, then they go on a fishing trip and that's the end. Quick break and then we will come back and rate the film. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss right godfather part two ratings starting off with jack as it was his choice yep 
And I have been thinking about this, and I gave Godfather 1 a 10. What did it score overall, do you remember? 29.5. And was I the 9.5? You were the 9.5. And for me, I think it's just as good. I think because there isn't a book, so there isn't anything to sort of go off, and they have come up with a sequel that is almost better or just as good as one of the best films ever made, and you've just done it again with an unbelievable cast. I mean, we haven't even talked about the guy who um, tries to get Michael killed. Well, or they think tries to get Michael killed. You know the guy who's the witness? Oh, yeah. He gives an unbelievable performance throughout the film. His lawyer? Robert Duvall, yeah. We've not even really talked about him. Brilliant. John Calzal. The most successful actor of all time. He is the most successful actor of all time. Great stat from me, that. It's almost like someone told me it yesterday. It is almost like someone told so you. You came in with it so loudly, it was like you knew the answer. The, uh, I'll explain. So the, the, the actor that plays Fredo, John Cazell, he's, he's gone down in history as the most successful actor of all time because he only did five films before he sadly passed away. And those five films were all nominated the best picture at the Oscars. And those films are The Two Godfathers, Dog Day Afternoon, The Conversation, and The Deer Hunter. I just thought that was amazing that he only did five films and they all were nominated for best picture. Anyway, um, I just think it's an amazing, amazing achievement to do a sequel and to rival one of the greatest films ever made and to be up there in the same conversation as being one of the greatest films ever made, and both of them are. And I have to give the same rating. It has to be a 10. I can't give anything else, really. 10 from Shepard. Ben, do we flip a coin? You go now, Colson, to middle it out. Um, it, for me, this is a three-hour 30 film that deserves to be a three-hour 30 film, which is really, really rare, isn't it? Like... We wa- can you remember when we watched Apocalypse Now and we were like, you, you can, you could trim it, it could be smaller? Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is a film where it's like, to be fair to it, it's probably because it, it's it's two 90 minutes stuck together. Yeah. But it, it's completely warranted, isn't it? Like, the, the, the time isn't an issue, but obviously that's the one thing that's stuck in my head to start with. Um, it's a great film. Al Pacino is great. What De Niro does in his limited time just shows his pure ability of he is just everything he does he makes it look easy doesn't he um for me it's a it's it's a better film than number one really yeah even without brando but is it is it not a more entertaining film jack because they've not got the discipline of going off the story so they can do a bit more with it but then you say that not a lot happens no, I know what you mean. Was the first one, there's the big sort of finish to the first one, isn't it, when Michael cleans everybody out. But I also like his character change and he goes dark. And he doesn't He doesn't kill anyone, does he, in this? He doesn't kill anyone. Well, he orders the hits, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I, I just think it, it's a good film. It's solid. Um, I've said that I think it's better than number one, but I am just going to match my rating, 9.5. And why the point five drop? Because I'm scared it'll get 30 out of 30. Oh, oh that's shitty. 
That's shitty. You've let yourself down there. I'm scared it might... It's a better film than the first. I get why it's three hours 30. Fantastic performances. 9.5 because I want to be a but, shit. But no, but but then it, it isn't a 10 because when you watch someone else's perfect film, I, I completely get why it's jacked. But I completely get that. It's, a, it's an acting masterclass. I think that's the bit that I got out of this is they're really fucking good. <laughs> yeah, they are. For example... Parasite for me, I gave it a 10. It's an amazing story. Yeah. It's twists, it turns, it shocks you. The Godfather is just a story, it's just a script where something happens. But it's, <laughs> it's just a story in a script, something happens. It is, they, they are... You should do synopsis. I think just end now, end on 9.5. You're digging yourself into an absolute amazing hole. But I'm just justifying my 9.5, which I think I have done enough. Ben? Um... Mm. Yeah, I mean, everything Jack said, really, I suppose. I mean, I do think it's interesting that you couldn't have done them the other way round. You needed the Brando presence. You yeah. needed that start to that film. You needed him to be so big and all over that film that Pacino and De Niro had the ability to underplay all the time. That you were you, Brando gives you that world for two in one and I think it made me feel watching two just how extraordinary Brando had been in one and none of it should work from Brando would you say that Brando kind of made it easier for De Niro and Pacino I think without a doubt is that they can play the real sense of that world because Brando created it so vividly in one. Mm. Everyone who's going to go to two will have seen one and got that world from Brando and got what I'm going to make. I'm going to make you one. I mean, everyone does Brando. I mean, everyone does Brando. But then, Ben, you've got some bloody obstacles to get over to be bloody good to match Brando, aren't you? And they both do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They both do. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is... I don't think if you transposed one, two into one, it would have been the same. You couldn't have swapped them round. It is a 10 because I think it's an extraordinary film. I think it's almost impossible to make. I think you're making a film, like Jack said, which is 330, 3.20, goes forward and back, hasn't got Brando in it, has got a really, at times... Baggy story with Hyman Roth. I mean, Cuba and whatever. I mean, that's not great, not tight. But what you have got are iconic shots. You have iconic shots. And Coppola does that. And that, to me, is... We're talking 50 years of that film. And we are still watching it. And I'm still amazed. I watched that and I've watched it a lot of times. And I watched that last night with you and just thought... God, this is great. (laughs) You know, you're you're in Italy and then you're in New York and whatever. But it just made me realise what an extraordinary job De Niro did in creating that world for all of us. So, 10, 29.5. 29.5 out of 30. It is a big score. It's up there, joint top of the leaderboard. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the moment you've fast-forwarded for... It is time for Jack's Hidden Gem of the Week. That's good. Great work. Great work, team. 
Oof. Hidden gem of the week this week. Kind of mafia-related, actually. Oh, it's a doc. Controversial. It's all about the conspiracy about the assassin- assassination of JFK, right? And it's a documentary that's out now. Oliver Stone, who directed the film JFK, came out in like 1990, I think. Yeah. He's done a new documentary about the assassinations. It's a four-part special. He wrote and directed it. And the information, because I think there's some new files that have been released about the uh, assassinations from the FBI and the CIA, and it's all very, very, very interesting. What's it on? What's it on? It's on Sky, Sky Atlantic, and it's on Now TV as well. It's a four-part, four hours. If you don't know anything about it, don't worry, because it fills you in on everything. Watch that. It's eye-opening and very, very, very interesting. That's new, directed by Oliver Stone. That's on Sky. So next week, it is your chance at home to pick the film for us, which means we ask a question on our Instagram for you to suggest a film, and then we put them into a random generator, and we get it into a semi-final. So the two semi-finals this week... Random generator sounds like something from the 80s, doesn't it? I love it, man. It's like like the internet hasn't been invented, and we've got a random generator, a tombola. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I think. <laughs> yeah. This week, the random generator pulled out Airplane mm, versus Pretty Woman. Mm. Landslide. Now, at one point, an hour into this post being live... Airplane went into a mountain. <laughs> Pretty Woman still had 100% of the votes. Now, I have to say, I mean, it is an absolute landslide. Pretty Woman has won it by, like, 90%. But Airplane still had 315 votes. So there's still people out there who want Airplane. So Pretty Woman makes it into the final. And the other semi-final was two great films, you know. Two really, really good films. Matilda versus Little Shop of Horrors. And again, Landslide. Was it? Yeah, Landslide. Matilda winning with 76%. Which means our final is... Pretty Woman versus Matilda. And the film we are watching next week, as chosen by you, the audience, at home, is Pretty Woman. Close. Close. Banger, though. Pretty Woman. Is Pretty Woman the one with Pretty Woman? Do, 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 do. No. Oh. No. What if you just <laughs> sugar, sugar. sugar? You sang sugar, sugar to the words of Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Oh, Pretty Woman. Is this the right tune? Brilliant. Pretty Woman. Roy Orbison. Pretty Woman. Roy Orbison. Pretty Woman has won by only twenty votes. Very, Ooh, very, very close. close. We only had 40. <laughs> <laughs> that don't make sense. It'd be a draw. I know. I wasn't <laughs> going to point that out. <laughs> so that means next week we're watching Pretty Woman. And if you want to join us, you know where to be. If you want to keep in touch with us in the meantime, you can do. We're on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Sofa Cinema Club. We're also on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, we've got a few shout-outs to make, haven't we? We've decided that at the end of every single episode, 
we're going to shout out our newest Patreon subscribers and we're going to give them a movie role. So I'm going to start off, you know when you go to the cinema and you buy your tickets and you've got the person selling you the popcorn? Well, guess who's just sold me popcorn? Yes, it's only Janice Barker. Oh, yeah. She always gives you a bit more. She gives you a bit extra. I asked for a medium. medium, She gave me a large. large. Who else have we got? We've got Taking Tickets, Niall. Uh, I've got Best Boy, E. Moirouse Stein. (laughs) Coming in as the producer, Emma McGrath. The, um, The tea maker, Milo. Is that your brother's dog, Ben? Is that your brother subscribed? He, he might be. He's in it. That's got to be your brother. <laughs> Coming in for a costume designer, Kim McCarracher. The most important role in the film of Stuntable goes to Jen. She's very good. Very good at car crashes and lorry rolling. <laughs> it's, a, it's a skills on a CV. <laughs> on a CV. Diving into a small pool, rolling a lorry. So all the names that we've just read out are the latest members to join us on Patreon. We really do appreciate all of your support. And like we said in the ET episode, our Patreon subscription fee is cheaper than a large popcorn at the cinema. So bear that in mind. And if you want to get involved and join us on Patreon for extra Sofa Cinema Club, for ad-free content, all you've got to do is go to www.patreon.com forward slash Sofa Cinema Club. And it's on a link in our thing as well on Instagram now, isn't it? It is. We now, in our Instagram bio, you press a link on there. It's got Patreon. It's got YouTube. It's got Twitter. It's got TikTok. It has everything you possibly need. So that's all we've got time for in this week's episode. Remember, if you want more Sofa Cinema Club, we're here on Monday for our episode of Extraterrestrial. And we're back next week watching your film choice. Where we'll be joined by one of you from home for a synopsis. And we look forward to watching Pretty Woman. Good night, God bless. Good night, God bless. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,